recently, in the United States, we have been uh, experiencing some of the greatest attempts to scrutinize a man's life. The seventh FBI report went out uh, looking at the background of a man, and they, and they found nothing, and it still produced nothing. It was quite incredible that you could look at a man's life seven times, looking at his background, and not find anything. At least I found it unusual. The situation is that this man was scrutinized by men. He was scrutinized by men. Men and women who are sinful with their own standards of what is good and what is evil. Those calling for this historic scrutiny were people who would affirm abortion or gay marriage or transgender reassignment. Their standard falls far short of the king of the universe. This historic scrutiny is nothing compared to eternal scrutiny. The scrutiny that each and every one of us will be put under when we face the king of kings and the lord of lords. We will have to give an account for our life as such. In God's standard, ladies and gentlemen, we all fall short. We all have a need for redemption. We all have a need for forgiveness of a merciful God. But even as I begin this, I still want to warn you, even as we sung that second song there, and, and it said that I am a child of God, you can say that from now until you go into your grave, unless you truly have given your heart over, your life over to Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how many times you say it. It matters how you live it. It matters how you live it. In God's standard, we all fall short. The God of the Bible calls us so often to self-inspection. We can see that throughout the scriptures where we are called to self-inspection. The word gives us a barometer by which we need to look at our own faithfulness. I think of 2 Corinthians 13.5. It says, test yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. Or did you not know? That's the first test from Paul. Here's another test from Peter, and it says in 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent. In other words, be anxious about this. Be diligent about it to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Make certain of it. It's important to make certain of it. 1 John 2.6 says, The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he, that is, Jesus walked. Friends, there is a call. It's a call by God to holiness. It's a call to the lordship of Jesus Christ that goes far beyond the scrutiny of men. It doesn't matter what men think of us. It matters what God thinks of us. We're here in 2 Peter. He's about to wrap up this wonderful little letter. And as I tell everybody, whatever book I'm preaching out of, it's the best book in the Bible. But again, it's the same thing. But Peter is going to bring the power of the word here to our hearts. He's going to, to ask us to examine ourselves, scrutinize ourselves, to see whether we be in the Lord or not, to see whether we are really truly his child or not. 
Peter starts by introducing the doctrine of the day of the Lord and informing the, this body of believers that the end is still going to come. You, you remember the story from the beginning of the book where these folks were saying, these false teachers were saying that the Lord is not going to return. It's been 30, 40 years he hasn't returned. So since he hasn't returned, let's live the, our life any way we want, giving themselves a, a ticket for immorality. The false teachers are going to learn otherwise in the end. Now, a little perspective. Go back to 2 Peter 3.10 and see what Peter says there. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. You know, recently I've been looking at some of the news and seeing what Hurricane Michael did to the panhandle of Florida. I mean, whole areas just wiped out completely. That was just a little wind. That's all it was, was just a little wind, maybe 150 miles an hour, but it was a little wind and just wiped out that whole area. Can you imagine if this day of the Lord, what he's going to do? How he's going to destroy the elements? You see, the day of ultimate judgment is not that far away, folks. You may think, oh, I got a whole life to live here, and, and there's so much ahead of me. No, the ultimate day of the Lord is not that far away. Matter of fact, I sit down and I talk to my wife, and I said, how do we get here so fast? I mean, really? I mean, we're at least 35. How do we get here this fast? It goes by very quickly. I tell my children, watch your children, play with your children, love your children. They will be grown-ups before you know it. And they'll be gone. And they'll be gone. The ultimate day of judgment is not that far away. Believers should always have this day in mind as we look forward to the Lord bringing his plan to completion. And that's what's going to happen. That plan is going to come to completion. Peter tells us what's going to happen in the end, even here. Peter is giving a warning. It's a sincere warning that there are some practical things, practical ways that we need to watch out for our own walk. The question then is, are you ready for the scrutiny of Jesus Christ looking into your life? Are you ready for him to sit on your shoulder and see what you do at every moment? This is Peter now speaking to the us, the one who denied the Lord, instructing us, to watch our behavior, to watch the choices we make. Yes, he's the one because he knows the true forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He also knows of his true repentance of his sin and that he lives now for the glory of God in everything that he does, in every choice that he makes, in every word that comes out of his mouth, in every thought that he allows to come into his mind, he makes those choices for Jesus Christ. Peter is at the end of his life. He's pleading with his sheep. These sheep that Christ gave to him, and he wants to them to make sure that they're truly in Jesus Christ. Remember, the false teachers had fed the community a lie. The lie was that Jesus Christ was not going to return real quickly, that he's going to be putting, put, he's not even going to return, and that you could live your life any way you want. Isn't that a great ticket to have? 
for some teacher of the Bible to tell you, I can live anywhere you want. It's like the, the pastor who told somebody that I had been counseling with that uh, when they went to his church, oh yeah, you can divorce, doesn't matter. No, I'm sorry, can't just divorce because you feel like it. You see, immorality is going to be judged. They were saying immorality was not going to be judged. The delay of Christ's return was an excuse for them that they could embrace any kind of lifestyle that they wanted. Let's read 2 Peter 3, 11 through 13. Starting in verse 11, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for the hastening, the coming of the day of the Lord, because which the prayers, because which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What Peter is going to do is, uh, at this point, he's going to motivate us. That's what he's going to do. He's trying to motivate those that he's writing to, to look at two foci. Now, I said it that way. It's focuses, but foci can be used. But I want you to have your eyes on that. Okay, the first focus is this, and you can write it down if you're keeping, if you're making yourself a, a, an outline of the message. The first focus is focus on your present walk with Christ. That's found in verse 11. Focus on your present walk with Christ. The second is focus on your future life with Christ, verses 12 and 13. If you focus on those two things, you'll be in the right place. Here we have the, the whole purpose of the writing of this little letter is that we need to focus on ourselves and our walk with the Lord. Do we have a genuine walk with the Lord? We see here that these believers are not to be looking at the trial that's, looking, that's, that's facing them. Remember, they were under persecution or about to be under persecution. Don't look at that, but focus on these things your walk with Christ, and your future life with Christ. That gives us hope. That helps us in that relationship with him. It actually produces in us a confidence that we're his, that he who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 11, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what are all these things? All these things are in the process of dissolution. They're in the process of being brought to an end. What things are being brought to an end? The heavens. They're going to be destroyed. The elements. The earth. They will be reconfigured. Let me put it that way. They'll be reconfigured. Everything of the old creation is being discharged, flushed away in a sense, if you want to put it in that, in that kind of way. It will be discarded to a degree, and then it will be refreshed and re-outfitted to be the new heavens and the new earth. What is redeemed mankind to do in the meanwhile? Peter here gets very specific. He answers the question, and he answers it this way. What sort of people ought you? And he's pointing his finger at you. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? 
literally it says in forms of behavior, in forms of godly behavior, and in forms of godly deeds. What is it supposed to be looking like? Another way to say it is, it is necessary for you to live in holy conducts and in godliness. Peter uses a plural word there. Words for holiness and godliness are put in the plural. Why? Because just because you do one act of godliness doesn't make you a Christian. One act of holiness does not make you, but it's the accumulation of those things that shows you that you are a believer. You're not working for your salvation. You already have your salvation, but it proves to you whether you're truly in Christ. You see, there are some people, and, and they may even be in this class, that come to church, and because they come to church, they think they're okay. You know, they come to Grace Community Church with one of the finest preachers in America here, in, in John MacArthur, and they think, oh, I'm, I'm okay just because I come to Grace Community Church. Folks, that does not make you a Christian. And even if you come every week, even if you come to a fellowship group and then go listen to John and then come on Sunday evening, it does not make you a Christian. What does your life look like? What choices are you making throughout the week to prove to yourself that you're truly Christ's? How do you love one another? Let me just put it in a very short sentence. Live a holy and a godly life. That's what Peter is telling us. That's the best thing that you can do. The way you live suggests that holiness should impact the followers of Jesus Christ. Let's look at 1 Peter, where Peter brought this up with the folks in that letter, which I think are the, basically the same folks that we have here from Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and and throughout the, that region. And he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 14, he says this, as obedient children, in other words, uh, you are obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Folks, there are things that have gone on in your life from the past, if, like me, you, you had lots of years of living in that past, for others of you, you're brought up in the church, you came to Christ at a young age, you may not even remember it, but for some of us, we do have our former lusts, and, and for Peter to write to this church, this is a first century church, many of them came to Christ later in life. As obedient children, do not be conformed to your the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance, because you were ignorant, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in some of your behavior. No. His standard is all your behavior. Not some of your behavior. Not just on Sunday when you're at Grace Church. Not just when you're attending a Bible study. Not just when somebody's looking. Remember the first time after I came on staff... And uh, I'm in Vons buying something, okay? I don't remember what it was. And there's this little boy, I don't know, he's probably an adult now and may even be in this class. But there's this little boy, and he's saying, Mommy, Mommy, there's Pastor Shannon. I'm going, whoa, I, I could be watched anywhere. <laughs> Folks, doesn't matter, it's a little boy. 
You have Jesus Christ watching at every moment. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Because it is written, thou shalt be holy, for I am holy. Why would Paul say this? I mean, why would Peter say this? He would say it because the world is looking at you. The world is saying, is this genuine? Is this real? Not only is the world, but other Christians are watching you and either being um, encouraged to live the Christian life or saying, oh, I can do whatever they do. It's okay. If you address his father, the one who partially judges, impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. So while you're on earth, it doesn't mean that you crouch in a corner and you fear, oh, God's going to kill me here. No, but you watch yourself and knowing that something that you do can affect other people. Not only that, but it tells you, it gives you a litmus test of your relationship with Jesus Christ knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as the blood of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. He's trying to bring it back to what it really is. You were purchased with a very high price, the blood of Christ. For he has foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that, or in order that, your faith and hope are in God. Folks, place that faith and hope in God, that he continues to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ, because that's what's supposed to be happening. We are to remember that in every situation of life. We are the blood-bought children of the king. In every circumstance, there should be godly behavior that we respond in godliness. Go to 2 Peter. Look at this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, seeing that his divine power, that's God's power, has granted to us, that's us, that means the believer, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. He called us by his glory, his excellence, to live out the Christian life before the world. Six and seven, we see what these qualities are, and I'm just going to mention a few of them in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness. He wants to see that in each of us. He wants to see the, the qualities that we have, the attitudes we have, the character we have, the speech we have, the thoughts we have, the thinking that's going on. Believe, believers do not hold on to the standards of the world. When you're scrutinized by the world, you have the world's standards. When you're scrutinized by God, it's something totally, completely different. The world condemns what is good and parades evil as good. I don't know if you've noticed it, but it seems like it's happening more and more where evil is being portrayed as being good. As Christians, we are to live a life of separation, a life unto a holy life, a life of separation unto a holy life. The manner 
of life specifically mentioned here by the apostle is a holy life in our conversation, in our thinking. We are to be walking with God in piety. So I ask myself as I read through this, I ask myself as I study through this, so what does it mean to be godly? What does it mean to be holy? If I were to take a poll here, would you be able to come up with some folks that you know are godly? Would you be able to say, oh, that person's godly or that person's holy? I remember being asked that question a long, long time ago. And I, I struggled with, okay, I don't really know. I don't really know. I can see outworkings of some people's life, but what does it look like to be holy? Folks, this is what it means. Please jot this down in your mind and your memory. It means to reflect the character of God. It means to reflect the character of God, your creator and savior. When God looks down at his church, that's us, he expects to see a reflection of who he is. We should be able to reflect back who he is in our actions. So I go on to the next question. I ask myself, how is my reflection? What am I reflecting back to God? What are you reflecting back to God is, is your question. How, how does it look, folks, to God when he looks down at us? Godliness indicates that as we are his, we wait on his return. We look forward to his return. You see, God has left us here to reflect him to the world. He could easily have saved us and brought us to heaven, taken us out of the world. That would have been great. But he left us here for a reason, so that we could be his representatives here on earth. He left us here to reflect him. We are then to be pure, righteous, and just. In a sense, every believer has a reputation of God in his hands. All of us have the reputation of God in your hands. You can either lift him up, lift him up to be worshipped, or lift him up to be criticized. I know I've used this example before, but when I first became a Christian, I was on a business trip in Chicago, Illinois, and, and they wanted to go to a movie, and I said, oh yeah, I like that movie. And they looked at me after I'd already given them my testimony of having come to Christ, and they said, uh, Wait a minute, I didn't think Christians could do that. You know, I, I haven't even thought of it before then. It was an okay movie, folks. It was not a bad movie. But I never even thought of it then. Well, maybe I'm reflecting the wrong thing to them in going to this movie. So I went back to the hotel room instead of going to the movie with them. It was okay. I didn't, I didn't miss anything. I got to see it on the airplane later. You see, we have a reputation, folks. We can lift him up. He's going to be worshipped. Or he can be criticized. We should be those who are lifting him up. Now, they may criticize him because of how we do that, because of our life being holy, but that's okay. Therefore, it says here, what sort of people ought you to be? So then you ask the question, what is the source or what is the purpose of the Christian life? 
Is it to have wonderful fellowship at the Hargroves this afternoon? Filled with nice conversation with people that truly care about you and for you? Or is it a Christian life about sharing with others? Giving them the life-giving grace that you've already received? Folks, it's both. It's both. It is to enjoy the fellowship that we have with each other. But at the same time, it is giving others the gospel of Jesus Christ and doing it in the right way. You see, both of these ways of acting in our Christian life cannot be divorced from one another. As Paul said, we are to walk in a worthy manner, a manner that's going to reflect Jesus Christ. When Peter uses this word ought, what sort of people ought you to be? He's raising the standard to a heavenly standard, a divine standard of activity. That's the kind of standard that we have. It's a standard that's um, impeccable. It's beautiful. Friends, there is now, if you are a believer, an obligation on your part that you are to be bringing Christianity to maturity, your Christian walk to maturity, to bring even the Christian faith to maturity in a sense. Now, how do you bring your maturity to, how do you bring your Christian walk to maturity? Well, this is time for an advertisement, if you don't mind. Grace Community Church affords you so many opportunities, so many places where you can grow, whether it be EWG or Men of the Word in the evening, or even in this fellowship group in particular, the men's and the women's ministry. They focus on Christian growth and on holiness. That's what you should be looking for. If you're just coming to church on Sunday, I think you're missing out on a whole lot. You're missing out on so much that, that the elders and the pastors of Grace Church want to give to you. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be here seven days a week and for eight hours a day. We leave that up to Carl. Because <laughs> his wife said that she wanted him more holy, so that's why he's here. <laughs> My wife's not even here today. She's sick. So, <clears throat> so just remember all that you have here, an opportunity that you have here. There are people... And we see them every once in a while will come to grace. I wish that there were other churches like this. You know, they, they look at this and they say, this is Christ, uh, Christian Disneyland. Okay, so get your ticket punched while you're here, okay? You know, and it's not an e-ticket. This is a ticket you have to take and you have to use. Um, uh, but I, I, I talked to some folks from other churches when, and they, they said, yeah, the elders, the teachers are there at grace, and they care about their people, and that's what it is. It's shepherding the people, and they say that they wish that their elders and teachers back there would do that kind of thing and um, lead them that way. So um, take advantage of it. I remember first coming to Grace Church, one of the first things after I got saved was to go to an FOF class. First of all, I need to learn a lot because I was just a dumb man needing to learn. Then I looked for somebody to disciple me, 
and that happened. And then I started going to the um, Lagos classes before you knew when I was in seminary. Anyway, so we have the advertisement. You got the advertisement now, right? Okay. Grace Church. First Peter 1.15, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. That's what Peter is calling you, to be holy in all your behavior. Now, now folks, you know I, I'm the counseling pastor here, and I hear things that come into my office that I, I, I'm hearing people saying that they're Christians, and they tell me of all of the stuff that they've been, do, they've been doing and have done and continue to do, and I scratch my head and go, how can you believe that you're a Christian? How can you, it just doesn't, I, I, you know, logically it doesn't fit that you could do those things and then think that you are Christ's. When I was away at the conference, it was on abuse. One of the speakers said this, that there is as much abuse of women and children in the church as there is in the world. I sat there going, uh-uh, no way, sorry, time out, that's wrong. Can't be. Why? Because when you come to the church, you are to be radically changed. And that kind of garbage does not continue. That kind of stuff is, is done away with when you come to Christ. And if you have trouble with some kind of sin or um, some kind of area of your life, then deal with it. Grace Church offers you even help there to deal with it. And it's going to be done in a loving way. Be holy because he's holy. You see, our fellowship with God, with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, starts at the moment we are redeemed. I mean, I can remember when I got saved on an October night in Montreal, Canada, and, and I said, oh, I can't do what I used to do, some of the things that I used to do. And you know what? It's okay. That's the first lot you come into your mind. I don't, that's not who I am. I don't need to do those things. You see, we begin a, a relationship that is now eternal relationship. And that relationship should be characterized by holiness. And so often again, in the counseling room, I ask this question, how are you cultivating holy living in your home? I say that to the man, if it's a husband, wife, and he's the head of the household. How are you cultivating holiness in your home? What kind of plan do you have? If you don't have a plan, guess what? You do. You have a plan to fail. So have a plan. What kind of target are you shooting at for your family? Where do you want them to be? Remember my daughter was in a service on a Sunday evening, and I think it was Alistair Begg who was preaching out of Daniel. And he was talking about Daniel growing up and his family being taken away. And she said, I think she was 12, 11, 13, whatever it was. She said, Dad, would I be like a Daniel? I said, well, if your mom and dad die, you're going back to your Roman Catholic grandmothers. And that's when you'll find out. How, how do you live for Christ when everything is taken away? Are you still going to be honest, forthright, responsible, in your relationship with him. Cultivate holy living in your home. Bring it about. Make sure there is a plan. 
that you have. You see what, folks? That's your duty and your responsibility. And if you're single, it's the same thing. It doesn't change. That's your, your duty, your responsibility to cultivate God's standard in your living each and every day. Think about this. Moses didn't obey God all the way, and he got stuck on Mount Nebo and couldn't come into the promised land. Now, I'm not saying that if you're a Christian and you don't do everything perfectly, you're not going to go into the kingdom of God. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Moses fell short. You, you don't want to fall short. You want to make sure that your standard and God's standard is the same standard. Make sure that you have that eternal rest with him. What sort of people ought we to be? Peter gives the answer, holy conduct, simple, godliness. Lives that are now punctuated with, and let's put it this way, an essence, an aroma, a smell, an odor of Christ. When people are with you, they say, there's something different about you. You're marked out as being different. Like the man who gave me his testimony, and I asked him how he came to Christ, and he said, well, I was watching this man across the street, and he loved his wife, and his children followed him, and his children obeyed him, and I, I got sick and tired of it, so I went next door, and I knocked on his door. What, what do you have? The man put down his Bible and sat down with him and showed him what the Scriptures had to say. That's why he's different. That's why you're different, because of what Christ has done. You see, the world laughs at us, they laugh at us at what we believe. The world takes advantage of us. The world humiliates us. But in Peter's day, they were being persecuted. If persecution were to begin, do you think that we'd fill up this service here with two full services in the morning? Do you think that if there was somebody standing at the door taking pictures of you going in, would you still go in? That's what they have in some parts of this world. I remember being in Russia, and uh, they have an inspection of the church, and the police come in. Well, they're trying to find something, and, and we're out there standing in minus 20-degree weather outside, and somebody says to me, don't speak too loud. And I said, what do you mean? He said, because if they hear English, they're going to make it even harder. My Russian is one word, so it doesn't work. <laughs> so... There are places like that. There are places like that throughout the whole world. What if that was to happen here? Beloved, please do not take away from this a fear, a fear of God that, that you are afraid you may not go into heaven. Take away from this a fear that you're not living out your life the way you should be. That's what you should do. And it should cause you to do something about it. What we as believers must understand is that Peter is encouraging all true believers of Jesus Christ not to fear judgment. I, I, you don't fear judgment. But to hope. Hope in the age to come. And he brings that up here very shortly. And so point number two. Do not fear the judgment. But as the second focus brings us to focusing on a new future life in Jesus Christ. 
That's what we look forward to. I, I, I frankly, folks, if the Lord were to strike me today, right now, I have no problem with that. I'm ready to go. It's okay. I, I've seen enough of this world. I've done enough here. I, and frankly, there's nothing here that holds me. 3.12 of 2 Peter. Look for... Where are we? Look for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. I was reading Thomas Schreiner and he said this, Godly lives are related to and grounded in eschatology. Did you hear that? Godly lives are related to and grounded in eschatology, and that's what Peter is doing here. Those who disregard the future cosmos will not live well in the present one. If you don't think about the next one, you're not going to live well, holy, in the present one. Go back to Philippians 4, 5, just jot that down. It says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. In other words, he, he's coming back soon. It could be that he's near even positionally, but that's what you have to look out. God is there. He's near. He knows what's happening. Look at 2 Timothy 4, 8 with me. 2 Timothy 4.8, this is the end of Paul's life, the end of his ministry. And he says, it, well, start in verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. In the future. Is there a crown of righteousness for each of us? Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who loved his appearing. Love his appearing. Look forward to his appearing. That's what we should be doing. This kind of thought here that Peter has introduced to us is that we should be living in the light of the return of Jesus Christ. Looking forward to being with him. Peter is given to repeating himself. Go back to 2 Peter. And as many of the writers of the New Testament do, he repeats himself and he starts in verse 12. He says, looking for the hastening and the coming day of God. Then in verse 13, he says, looking for new heavens and a new earth. And then in verse 14, he says, since you look at these things. This is his repeating things over and over and over. And I sat back and I started to think. Anticipation. Anticipation. If you're looking forward to something, this past week, I was looking forward to my team going to the World Series again. It's not going to the World Series, but I was anticipating that they were going there. Well, they failed, and they're humans, okay? God doesn't. And that anticipation that I have for him is a real anticipation. He's coming soon. Anticipation. Not only believers to be looking for the coming day of God, but they are to be hastening the day of the coming day of God. Now, I said exactly what I meant right there. That we as believers can hasten the day of God. Do you believe that? Some of you are going to say, oh, but God is sovereign. And since he's sovereign, he's already appointed that day. But Peter says you can hasten the day of the coming of God. And yes, that is a proper translation. My friends, it is a proper translation for Peter is emphasizing obedient living once again. 
Why is he emphasizing this obedient living? Because your obedient living gives pause to the unbeliever. The unbeliever sits there and goes, why did they do that? Remember the time my daughter and I were getting fishing rods at Turner's. And we're looking at all different kinds of fishing rods. She and I used to go fishing all the time. We were looking for some new rods because we were going to go deep sea fishing. And so we got these rods and, and we walked out of the store. We got home and guess what? We had two extra rods. Because, you know, you're looking at them all, and we didn't realize that we took two of them, extras. Get in the car, we go back, and we bring the two extra rods back there, and the gal at the desk is, is befuddled. You're, you got out of the store, yet you're bringing them back? Why would you do that? They're not ours, and we're Christians, and we don't steal, Okay. She couldn't. She just couldn't get. She couldn't get it past her brain that somehow we got out of the store with them and would come back with them. That's how we live our Christian life. As I like when somebody gives you too much change, you give them back the extra that they gave you. That's how we're supposed to live. Your testimony is important. We give pause to the unbeliever, and they begin to ask the questions. Why do they do what they do? That's your testimony. I remember after the 94 earthquake, the, the guy who came in to, to look at our house because we had insurance, and we had this countertop, and, and it was cracked and all of that, and he says, oh, that happened in the earthquake. No, that was broken before. He says, no, that happened in the earthquake. I said, no, that happened before. And he looked at me, he says, what's wrong with you? I said... That was already cracked and broken before the earthquake. And he says, look, I want to write this off for you. I said, but you can't because it was already broken and cracked before. <laughs> and he asked me why. And I was able to tell him why. Because I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. And he said, fine, I'm not asking you any more questions. <laughs> uh, well, what can you do? Folks, be honest. Be honest, that's your testimony. Friends, we're not just killing time on earth, waiting for Christ to return. Our life has end time significance. Therefore, we ought to be dealing with our sin. We ought to despise doing anything that would shame the name of Jesus Christ. Can I encourage you that your character, your actions, impact the lives of the followers of Jesus Christ? They're encouraged by seeing the things that you do but it also impacts the life of the unbeliever. And hopefully they would start seeking truth. You are not to be passive in your Christianity. Impact the world for Jesus Christ. There's so much, so many that need to be saved. Have a heart for that. I was thinking yesterday as we were doing the walk for life and thinking of 60 million babies killed there's a lot of women involved there that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not to make them feel guilty, but to hear how they can be forgiven. That's what they need to hear. That was my prayer as we walked. You have a vital role to play in shortening the time. Yes, I know that God is sovereign, but I say this. I say this. You follow the simple instructions of Jesus Christ. Why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 6? 
he gave us some very simple instructions there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And he says, pray in this way. Pray in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. In that prayer, you're praying for the kingdom to come. Do you think he would tell you to do something that you have no influence on? No. He's given you something to do that you do have an influence. Because what would he, why would he say that if you don't have some kind of an influence on it? Your kingdom come. If Jesus told you to pray in this way, it should be with great anticipation that you would await the answer. I'm listening, Lord. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Why do we say things like that? It is not just taking up time in the morning while your tea is being brewed. No. It's doing something to see something happen. And so keep praying that. You should have a future focus. One commentator said this, we do well to remember that our coldness of heart and our disobedience delay the coming of the king. Our coldness of heart and our disobedience to the king delays his coming. There are many people in your life, my life, that still need to hear the gospel. Looking for the day of God means that the heavens and the earth will be burned, the elements will melt with intense heat, this idea has already been introduced. We've seen that in verse 10, but look with me at Psalm 102. So it's not only a New Testament uh, message, but it's an Old <clears throat> Testament message as well. Psalm 102, verse 25, it says this, Of old you founded the earth, Talking about long time ago, God created the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be changed. That's what he's going to do. He's going to wear them out. And i got to tell you, I think the world is worn out already. I think it's way worn out. It, it needs to be changed, considerably changed. Now back to Peter. Notice in the middle of the destruction. Okay, he has it in verse 10. He has it again in verse 12. In the middle of that destruction is holy living. Holy living. There'll be destruction. There'll be reconfiguration. Peter calls us. Don't miss this, folks. Do not miss this. There's a reason for it being there. Peter is pointing out our responsibility as believers. Holy living. And if you live a profligate life and you still call yourself a Christian, you are no different than the false teachers of the first century. If you live an ongoing sinful life where you are not dealing with your sin, then you are no different than the false teachers in the first century. And you know what? They have already found out it's too late in their flawed thinking about the return of Christ. Don't have that in your life. 
before we leave verse 12. I know I'm going to get a question from someone, because we have a lot of astute people in here. What is the difference between the day of the Lord and the day of God? What is the difference between the day of the Lord and the day of God? Yes, they are two different expressions of what happens at the end. The first, the day of the Lord, is the whole time leading up to the end, including the destruction of the heavens and earth. But the day of God is a special day. The day of God is the eternal state where there is complete peace, where there's complete righteousness. We see that in verse 13, 2 Peter 3.13. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Righteousness dwells there, folks. Could you imagine? We don't have to look for social justice then. We don't have to look for everybody being even. It's there. It's inherent in the fabric of our existence. Righteousness dwells. I love what Peter has done here. He's incorporated in Old Testament scripture. You can just jot this down, Isaiah 65, 17, where Isaiah says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. That helps me because you know what? When we're in heaven, we're not going to remember those things. We don't have to remember those things. I'm not going to have to remember how I sinned against my wife or I sinned against anybody else. It's not going to be remembered. Praise God. Peter in 3.13 uses the Greek word to mean new in quality. It's, it's got a new quality about it. The new heavens and the new earth will be a new quality and a new character. Additionally, righteousness will dwell there. That's going to be our focus. The new life in Christ will be a righteous life. Righteousness will make its home with us, in us, a perfect existence with a perfect God and righteousness galore. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Now, I didn't see anyone else say this, and I could be totally wrong on this, but there are three worlds that we've been, we know of. Three worlds. The first world that God created was the innocent world. When he created Adam and Eve were there, it was an innocent world. The second one was the corrupt world. Okay, because of the fall, we see the corrupt world. But there's a third one, and that's the world we look forward to. It's a righteous world that we look forward to. We will be dwelling there together in righteousness. Look forward to the new world. There'll be different materials, or they're the same materials that are reconfigured, and that's way beyond my understanding because it doesn't tell us in the scriptures I don't want to be dogmatic. I believe that I'll be taking the old things and reconfiguring them into something new, just as the destroyed earth from the flood was reconfigured. One thing I can declare with certainty is that it will be in righteousness. So friends, what do we get out of this? What, what, do, we, what do we learn from this? I want you to encourage you to do one thing 
don't be focused on this world. This is the corrupt world. I understand that a lot of us are want to have a comfortable home, want to have a nice car, clean clothes, but the world to come is so much better, is so much better. You know what? It actually has better transportation there. You don't have to call for Uber or get an oil change or anything else. And righteousness will be your clothing. That's what you will be clothed in, righteousness. Our focus is to be God-centered, holiness attaining for his glory and for his name. Would you do me a favor and let's close with this. Turn to Revelation chapter 21. Now, I could read the whole chapter of chapter 21, but I will not. But I want you to see just the highlights here. In Revelation chapter 21, the new heaven and the new earth that Peter is speaking about. And John the apostle on the island of Patmos said this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. Folks, the tabernacle of God is among men. You will be dwelling with him. How are you reflecting Christ? That you would be there. And he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. Wow, I, I get getting goosebumps. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Is that something to look forward to, folks? Is, is that better than this world? I, I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. It's a whole lot better. Or you independents out there. That's a whole lot better than what we have here. What, what we have here is, is muddied and, and, and fallen. Folks, look forward to that holy world, to that righteous world where we're headed. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help all of us to keep the right focus, to focus on our walk with you today in how we express that walk, Lord, and in, in our genuineness of our walk with you. At the same time, Lord, to help our minds to keep thinking of the things in the future, that, that our minds are to be thinking about what God has already accomplished in Jesus Christ, and that we will be joined with you, just as, as Christ condescended himself to come to the earth, he ascended to be with his Father. Lord God, for that day, I pray it would come soon so that we could enjoy you in eternity, in righteousness. We pray this in your name. Amen.